The reading today is from Acts, verses 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Ezotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Suzanne, thank you. Uh, let me have my welcome. Uh, my name's Matt Fuller. And uh, if we've not met, to be super to do so at some point, perhaps uh, over lunch. And uh, we're back in the book of Acts. Um, so do keep that open. We'll, uh, one other place we'll need to turn. But we're returning to the book of Acts after a break. Let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll jump straight in. Our great God and Father, we thank you and praise you that you are not a local God, not a small God. You are not, dare we say it, merely our God or the God of London. You are the sovereign Lord over all the earth and you reign over all things. And every single person on this planet has been made by you, is loved by you. And how we long for them to turn and trust in the name of Christ so they can be restored in relationship with you. So as you think somewhat on these things, Father, please would your word be at work amongst us, burrowing away, convicting us, encouraging us, so that we are the global citizens determined to take the gospel to all peoples that you long us to be. We ask it in his great name. Amen. I don't know if, uh, how many would have read it, but in his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi uh, tells the story that, uh, this is fairly well known, I think, that in his student days, he was very interested 
in Christianity. He read all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, and John. And he seriously considered becoming a Christian. Uh, not only was he impressed with Jesus, but he thought that in following Jesus was the solution to the caste system that in his mind completely bedeviled India. You know, this utterly hierarchical system of castes. And, you know, if you're at the bottom, you can't relate to the top. And so he got to the point where one uh, Sunday he went along to church. And he's, in his own words, he, he went to church because he wanted to speak to the minister about how to become a Christian. And there he arrived and went to the Christian church, and clearly a man of different ethnicity to most who were going there, a different caste. He went in, and the man who greeted him at the door said, not for you. You can't sit amongst us here. You can sit over there if you want, but not with them, not with us. And so he writes, well, what's the point in becoming a Christian? If there's a caste system, I can be a Hindu and live with that. And so he walked away. And that is a disgrace. Because, of course, what the man at the door should have said was, you are welcome. On precisely the same terms as everyone else in this building. Not because of your race, not because of your class, not because of your culture, not because of your education, not because of your goodness, but you're welcome if you trust in Jesus Christ. That's how anyone is welcome before the Lord. I mean, come to church and explore such things, of course. But before the Lord, that is how anyone is welcome. Because the message of Jesus Christ, it is a gospel for all. And this message is meant to reach out to all peoples and all nations. Now, it's a good time to return to the book of Acts on this uh, World Focus Sunday, because uh, if you were here before Christmas and we were looking for a few months in the, uh, the early chapters of the book of Acts, the, the point of this book, why it's included, it's the account of the fact, really, that the, Jesus Christ is growing his kingdom and it's unstoppable. He's growing his kingdom and it's unstoppable. Now, as you look around the world, there are plenty of encouragements that would demonstrate that. Um, you will know some of these things, but if you reach back 100 years, 100 years ago, there were roughly 50,000 Protestants in Latin America. Now there's somewhere between 80 and 100 million. 50,000 to 80 million, that's good. You take that with your bank balance, you take that with people. That's an extraordinary rise. 100 years ago in South Korea, there was roughly 1,200 Christians, now 15 million more than 30% of the population. In Nigeria, it's another country, uh, 100 years ago, you're probably talking about a few hundred Christians, now more than 20 million. So there are enormous encouragements. There are, you know, stats about the growth of the Christian church and the missionary movement. Uh, there, there are plenty of them. I think probably the most sensible place is the Center for the Study of Global Christianity uh, at Gordon Conwell University in the States. They uh, are more cautious in the claims that they make. But uh, would you know, the, first, the fastest five growing churches in the world, I did not know this. But the top five fastest growing churches by nation... Number one is China, but number two would be Nepal, 
and number three, the UAE, all of which the churches are growing at over 10% a year. Next would be Saudi Arabia. Can you believe that? At 9% a year growth. Now, when you've got 0.1% of the population, 9% is not enormous. All right, you've got, to, you've got to bear that in mind. These are small... Fi- and then fifth on the list is Qatar. 7% of the population. Sorry, uh, 7% growth uh, year on year, uh, which is about 4% of the population currently. Now remember, these, these numbers are going up slowly. If you start with 2% and you add 7% every year, that, you know, that, or, that's cumulatively, it's going to take you a long time to grow. And yet that's still, in any world, 10% growth year on year is pretty good. If the Chancellor could secure that for our economy, he'd be pretty happy. Ha ha. So there's good news. And overall, percentage-wise, the Church of Gross, excuse me, the Church of Christ is growing every year. And so it's still about 33% of the world population. And yet, alongside the encouragements, you'd have to say, it still remains the case that about 30% of the world have little or no access to the message of Jesus at all. Unreached people groups, that is, uh, a group within a nation bound by their own culture and language that requires external assistance, otherwise they're never going to hear about Jesus Christ. And so you know this stat... uh, Roughly, if the world is 10 people, one out of 10 is a follower in Jesus Christ and says, I'll, you know, I follow him wholeheartedly. Two out of 10 say, I follow Jesus, but it's a bit half-hearted. They might just be nominal Christians. They certainly say they're Christians, but whether it makes a difference to their lives, it's quite hard to tell. Four out of 10 say, yeah, I've heard of Jesus Christ, I'm not interested. So, you know, lots of those in our country. One plus two plus four up to seven. Three out of ten in the world would say, who's Jesus? Never heard of him. So there's lots of work still to be done. And the book of Acts would remind us that, look, Jesus Christ is building his kingdom. It's unstoppable, but you and I have a role to play. And we have to be global citizens with a global outlook for we worship a global God. Back in the beginning of, uh, when we started looking at the book of Acts, uh, the, the, really the description or the, uh, the agenda for the book, uh, Jesus tells people, uh, his early disciples, right in chapter 1, verse 8, that the gospel is going to go to Judea, Judea, Samaria, excuse me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. And uh, you may have seen this before, but at the bottom of the little page, uh, some would have seen, there's a table. It's showing how that works through the book of Acts. So the first six chapters, they're in Jerusalem. This section we're in at the moment, the gospel goes to Judea and Samaria, and even eunuchs, which we look at today. So in this section, it's going to those who are religiously interested, I guess you'd say. And then from 932 onwards, it goes to the whole world. The dam really burst from 9.32 onwards. But the man we're chiefly concerned with today in our passage is chapter 8, verse 27, we're told certain details about him. He's an Ethiopian. Now, if you are a dweller of Israel and Jerusalem, Ethiopia is kind of the ends of the known world. You know, they hadn't discovered Australia uh, back then. 
It's the end of the world, almost, Ethiopia. We're told, verse 27, this man is Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. He's an important man in charge of all the treasury of the queen. But also strikingly in the book of Acts, I think, he's an individual. It's the first time we really deal with individuals uh, becoming believers in the book as such. The early chapters, thousands of thousands of people become Christians all at the same time. I mean, we'd love to see that. That's very exciting and dramatic. Uh, but, but now it's just the focus on one. Because the Lord cares for individuals. He cares for this black Ethiopian man. Very different culturally. But the focus really is upon the fact that he's a eunuch. So we're told in verse 27, he's a eunuch. And then uh, repeatedly onwards, verse 34, verse 36, verse 38, verse 39, he's a eunuch. Now Luke could just call him the man, Philip and the man. But he calls him Philip and the eunuch. Five times we're told he's a eunuch. Why so important? Because a eunuch is not allowed in to Judaism. That's the point. This is a man who's been to Jerusalem. He would have seen the temple. He'd have gone to, uh, uh, to worship in, in Jerusalem. To go from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, and he's gone there to worship. He's not been there on a trade delegation, just thought he'd pop in and see this temple that's quite impressive. He's gone there to the temple. That's a once-in-a-lifetime journey in the first century. And when he had got there, with all this excitement, I've gone to the temple in Jerusalem. I've heard all about this place. He'd have seen a sign very clear saying, you are not allowed in if you're a eunuch. He's an outcast. He's prevented from entering. He's outside. He's too flawed to be allowed in. And so what is being emphasized here is that this saving message of Jesus Christ really is for everyone. And you can never be too far outside. And you can never have done too much wrong. And you can never be too flawed or too distant from being welcomed by Jesus Christ. This gospel message is for all people. And wonderfully, the eunuch got to know it. Slightly cut across and uh, look at the three main actors, as it were, in the, uh, in the account. So the Lord, the eunuch, and Philip. Uh, the Lord arranged the meeting. The eunuch needed a sacrifice, and Philip opened the scriptures. That's how we're going to look at it, all right? The Lord arranged the meeting. The eunuch needed a sacrifice. Philip opened the scriptures. First off, the Lord arranged the meeting. Now, that should be unsurprising to us. If you've been here before, we're looking at Acts. Jesus is the hero of Acts. He's sort of seen as driving the script. It's the account of him growing his kingdom. But here it's very obvious. This is unusual events. And so verse 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road. Well, that's quite unusual to have an angel giving directions. Siri, yes. Satnav, yes. An angel, less often. 29, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot. Uh, and stay near it. And then at the end, verse 39, the Spirit directs Philip away again. This is pretty unusual. That's an extraordinary level of guidance that Philip gets because the Lord is arranging this meeting between Philip and the eunuch. Nowhere in the New Testament are we told to expect that sort of level. 
even in the, the book of Acts, which is pretty wonderful uh, or unusual in its sort of the events that are taking place, most of the time the apostles, they don't, they don't get this. They sort of bump into someone and then they become a Christian and that's great, but you only really get this level of guidance when something new is happening. So here, Philip is told, go to this Samaritan, excuse me, this um, uh, Egyptian, what is he, Ethiopian man, there we go. Um, We're good with cultures here. Uh, Go to this Ethiopian man. We'll see crucially in chapter 10, Peter is told, you need to go and speak to this Gentile Cornelius. Uh, So you only get this sort of level of guidance when there's something new, a new barrier being broken through. But it's unusual. So for most of us here, I wouldn't be expecting an angel popping up tomorrow and saying, go, catch the 344 bus and sit next to the woman in the blue jumper with a red hat on three rows back. You're not going to get that. Okay, You're not going to get that level of detail. But we are to expect that the Lord is growing his kingdom and he arranges meetings that we're to take advantage of. I guess anecdotally, look, uh, one that I'm most grateful for is uh, a woman called Joan. A decade or so ago, uh, Joan uh, was with her husband on holiday in Italy on Lake Garda. And one day, Joan got a ferry across the lake and bumped into an English couple, and they got chatting as the English people on the boat, as you do. And um, that was nice. And that was so. Two days later, Joan, her husband, got on another ferry. Because uh, that's kind of what you do, is you go back and forth across ferries in Lake Garda. And uh, bumped, oh, Hugh again, bumped into the same English couple. <laughs> uh, aren't we so exciting, us Brits, uh, on the same ferry at the same time each time? But, um, and they got talking. And, oh, they didn't live too far apart from one another. And so when back in the UK, Joan met up with the wife. And they got talking. Joan's a Christian believer, and she said to the wife, oh, what do you think about such things? And they got chatting, and they read the Bible together for a while, and, well, a couple of months later, the wife became a Christian. Well, the couple was my mum and dad, and the wife was my mum, and I'm pretty thrilled that God arranged for her to meet Joan in Italy. I don't know why he did it that way. I mean, I've been trying to explain the message of Jesus Christ to my mum for years, but that's how it worked. But the Lord arranged that wonderfully. I'm very grateful he did. And the Lord arranges these sort of meetings or those sort of meetings all the time. So don't expect a voice saying, go, go, sit on the 344 or the C2, unless that's the bus you get to work. I mean, that's kind of normal, get on the C2. But um, don't expect a voice and don't expect, go and speak to the woman with the red coat and the blue hat or whatever it is. But do expect that the Lord arranges meetings. If you're a Christian, cause you to bump into people you're meant to chat to. If if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, that there are reasons you're here. God has arranged it. So we're to take advantage, make use of such meetings. Because the Lord is saving one individual at a time, and that's how he grows his kingdom. The Lord arranged the meeting. Uh, Secondly, let's spend most of our time here, that uh, the eunuch, the eunuch needed a sacrifice. Now, we're told this man is a senior official. He's a chancellor of exchequer for uh, the queen of Ethiopia. No doubt he's very busy. But as we said, he's not gone uh, on, on business. He's taken some holiday and he's gone to worship. But he wouldn't be allowed into the temple. 
It must have been pretty gutting. You know, you go on holiday somewhere and it's shut. You go on holiday to, I don't know, Egypt to visit the pyramids and they're all shut. Uh, that would be fairly frustrating. But he's gone to the temple and he's shut out. Now, what would he have seen? Where he'd have seen relentlessly, day after day, a procession of ordinary Israelites bringing their sacrifices. There may have been expensive ones, lambs and goats. There may have been cheap ones, pigeons, doves for the poorer. But day after day, people have brought their sacrifices to the temple. Because the Old Testament was very clear. The only way that anyone could be forgiven for the things they'd done wrong was to offer a sacrifice, an animal to pay in their place for the mistakes they made, for the sins they committed, for the way they'd done wrong. Because to be forgiven, there always has to be sacrifices. Let me give you an example. Uh, the other day, this, I have to tell you, is, is my favorite mug. And I'm a bit odd about mugs. I quite like mugs. And uh, it's the staff at the office will tell you, I get a bit possessive about my mugs. It's a bit odd. We all have our oddnesses. Mine's a mild one. Bear with it. Um, this is my favorite mug for various sentimental reasons. And also, it's just a very nice shape. And it sits in your hands beautifully. Uh, in the past week, one member of my family, unnamed, um, broke my mug. You may not be able to see, but it's got a very large chip, just where you'd want to drink from it. And it's now unusable. It's okay. It's a mug. It's not a big deal. I've forgiven them. <laughs> As I should. But at the same time, I, I've forgiven them, and it's fine. It's a mug. It's fine. But in order for things to be perfectly restored, I had to go online and track down on eBay this same out-of-production mug <laughs> and purchase it at a vastly inflated price for a bit of porcelain that probably costs pennies to manufacture. And so next week, courtesy of uh, the Royal Mail, it shall arrive uh, at my home. And, and, and then everything is back to normal. And once it's, of course, I've forgiven, it's fine. But in order for things to be perfectly restored as they were, there, there is a cost to pay. A bit of time on eBay, a bit of money, far too much money for a mug. Because there's always a cost to forgiveness. That is a pathetic example. But when we fail to keep God's law, and when we fail to honor God as we should, and when we take all the blessings of his world and just say, well, that's nice, but just on my own terms, I'll treat you. It's not right. And we need forgiving. And there's a cost to forgiveness. There's always a cost. The temple system highlighted that cost by showing the Israelites day after day sacrifices sacrifices, animal sacrifices. The problem for the eunuch was that he fell outside that system. He wasn't allowed in. Of course, the first century uh, temple is much like any modern tourist attraction. You may not have a ticket to get in, but you can still go into the gift shop. And now that he went into the gift shop and bought his scroll, Isaiah 53. And that's what he's reading. Very striking. If uh, you can read, there, there we go. Um, Let's pick it up, the, uh, the account here, from verse 30. Philip ran up to the chariot, 
heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explained it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. It's from the middle of Isaiah 53. And I wonder if you can turn back there. Might want to keep a finger or or one of the many bits of paper we've got. uh, Keep it in Acts 8. But Isaiah 53 is on page 741. Page 741 of these church Bibles. It's a wonderful passage he's reading. It's a passage, one of the many in Isaiah, about the Savior, the Messiah who would come. And the stress on it is Him for us. This Savior would be punished. He would take the blame. We could be forgiven. Let me just pick it up and read it from Isaiah 53 from verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He, the Savior, the Messiah, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We, all like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And here's what he was reading. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living because of, for the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He suffered instead of us. He was the sacrifice so that I don't have to receive any blame, punishment. He paid the cost of forgiveness so that it's free for me. And Philip explains, back in Acts chapter 8, Philip explains that that is talking about Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrifices And now that he had died, now that Christ had been that sacrifice, the temple was redundant, and even an excluded outsider like this Ethiopian eunuch could be forgiven. See, here's what the eunuch needed to know. The Judaism's emphasis upon there being one true God was not enough for him. That a fine system of ethics in Judaism was not enough for him. He needed a sacrifice that could pay for what he'd done wrong. And that's found in Jesus. The eunuch needed a humble savior who, despite having power to crush his enemies, had mercy on them. Do you know this is quite a famous story? Do you know this story of uh, Franz Stiegler? Uh, he was the, um, in the World War II, he was an ace German pilot uh, in World War II. Uh, he had 29 known kills Uh, as an airline pilot, and needed only one more for the German Medal of Valor, the sort of best thing you can get as an airline pilot uh, at that time. 
December 1943, he was defending a, uh, a German factory against attack, a number of US bombers having taken off from uh, a base in the UK, uh, flying and uh, uh, dropping their bombs and, uh, on these factories and then retreating out. And uh, Franz Steger and his team, he was behind one US B-17 bomber, eight men on board, a couple of engines shot out, uh, smoke coming out of the fuselage. So they were running, flying on 40% power. So this plane had got left behind. All the others had gone off. And this was the weak, vulnerable plane. And uh, Franz Liga came up behind it and thought, well, this is easy. Here's my kill. Here's my medal of valor. But he could see the smoke. And he could see right into the plane. And that clearly half the crew were injured, maybe even dead. And thought, no. No, I'm not going to kill them. I could do, obviously, easily, but no. I think these guys are going to have mercy on them. And so then he flew alongside this bomber uh, all the way to the North Sea. Therefore, uh, no anti-aircraft guns could take it out. And um, saluted them. And the, uh, the pilot of the U.S. bomber, Charlie Brown, was his name. As in, you know, uh, that was his real name. Uh, they saluted one another and flew off in different directions. And Franz Stiegler flew off to court-martial and expected execution because he hadn't carried out his orders. But there's a man who had his enemies within his power but said, no, I, I, I have mercy. In fact, I'll save them at cost to myself. It's a little picture, a pathetic picture in one sense, of Jesus Christ, who is the Savior, who has the power to destroy his enemies, those who reject him, but has mercy, gives his life for them. He pays the cost of forgiveness. That's what the eunuch is reading about, the Messiah who pays the cost of forgiveness. How joyful would that have been for this man? He knew that Judaism had no answer for him, for the guilt of having broken God's law, apart from try harder, could he have discovered it? Was he, uh, anachronistically. But Islam has no answer for this eunuch, for the problem of breaking God's law. It just says, try harder. Try harder to be good. Well, that's no help. And Buddhism has no answer. And Hinduism has no answer. And certainly secularism has no answer. What can I do when I know I fall short? Christ is the answer. He is the one who pays for you. He pays the cost of forgiveness. And of course, that is a message that every culture, every class, every race needs to know. Not try harder to be good, but Jesus has done everything for you. He's paid the cost so you can be forgiven. He's done everything right so you can enter in to God's heaven. The only way that anyone can know forgiveness and know God is through this sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The eunuch needed a sacrifice. The Lord arranged a meeting. Uh, the eunuch needed a sacrifice. Uh, very briefly then, Philip opened the scriptures. Very briefly, we met Philip back in Acts chapter 6. Uh, and um, uh, he's uh, been very busy onwards. But uh, this scene is extraordinary. 
I particularly love verse 30. I mean, the Lord is directing him, but um, verse 29, the Spirit says, Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And what does he say? Presumably he says something like this. Do you understand what you're reading? Because he's run all the way up to this chariot. And uh, that's a very simple question. And, of course, the man says, verse 31, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. And I wonder how many people there are in our city and how many people there are that we meet are much like this eunuch. They're quite interested in spiritual things. They're open to reading even the Bible. They're seeking truth. They're seeking something. But they can't work it out. And here in one sense is a very simple biblical model for, well, yeah, they need people to sit down with them with the Bible open and read it one to one. Many people will need that. Who knows that conversations that begin, do you understand much about Jesus? Do you understand where he is or who he is? Who knows where those conversations go? The gospel is for all nations. That's who it's for. For anyone who knows that they need forgiveness. So at a day like today on World Focus Sunday, what do we do? with a message, a gospel message that is for the nations. Well, here are a few things. Very quickly, scattergun, five. One, welcome. For us as a church in London, we need to welcome the nations. You know, 300 different languages spoken in this city, and some here from people groups that just can't be reached. There are uh, 22 different people groups in Mongolia. 19 of them are completely unreached, with the Christian gospel, most of them here in London, representatively. We need to welcome the different nations. We need to host missionaries, I think, going forward. There's going to be more of this. Uh, you know, in London, there's a Turkish community of 400,000 Turks. Not many believers in Turkey, but 400,000 here in London. And so, of course, we want to explore when um, uh, a group go to plant a church in Harangay, very near the Green Lanes community, Can we get a Turkish-speaking missionary to go with them? We need to host, we need to pray. We need to send to the nations. Uh, By that I mean slightly financially. None of these things come for free, of course. It's a great list of those mission partners here, but it all costs money. Our ambition as a church is always to raise our percentage that we give to our mission partners year on year, and we don't every year. We want to raise it by half a percent every year. We don't always. We just can't, but we want to be able to. Welcome, host, pray. Sorry, welcome, host, send, pray. All of us could take one, couldn't we? If nothing else. I mean, you could read and pray through for one every day, but you could just commit to praying regularly in more detail for one of our mission partners. Just sign up to get their emails when they come once a month. All of us could do that. Welcome, host, send, pray. And for some, of course, go. Like David did, go. It's quite a big change to shift life. But you can make a start. Let me encourage us, you know, it's great to read those books that were on the screen just to get us thinking a little bit more about 
place of the world where there's such a desperate need for people to hear of Christ. Go and visit short-term trips. And then for some to go. There are a number here thinking about it. Am I going to go long-term overseas? Yeah. Go. Because the gospel is for all peoples. But three out of ten people across this planet have barely even heard the name of Jesus Christ. And they need to know that the only way for forgiveness is through him. It's never try harder. It's through him. Let me lead us in prayer. I pray, God and Father, we thank you and praise you that you care for individuals, that you're the Lord of the earth, but you care for each and every person. You care for this Ethiopian eunuch deeply and saw him saved that day. And Father, who knows how much is due to his work, but there is a thriving church in Ethiopia today and we praise you for it. Father, each and every nation, in each and every people group, needs to know that they're made for a relationship with Jesus Christ and he is the way to be forgiven. So many people caught up in the madness of thinking, I just need to work harder and then God will accept me. Father, will we be those committed here in London, overseas, to telling people that in Jesus Christ is the saviour they need, the sacrifice they need for forgiveness. Would we commit ourselves to sharing that message we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.